you, except Hawaii. Good morning to you. I wish you were all here today, and I wouldn't have to give a sermon. Uh, the reason being that if you'd heard Mark Schindler's sermonette and Lloyd and Betty's special music, then anything I had to say would be uh, an afterthought and a footnote, and really to re-echo what they have just said. Now, some of you may not quite realize it yet, but I think the word has gotten around pretty well, that this is a very sad, and I think a very solemn, and certainly a very gut-wrenching day for a lot of God's people. And what I am speaking of is that of what is occurring today in the global church of God. During the week, most of you have heard by now, the ministry at the top of Global and their headquarters had a split. And I won't get into names and personalities here. It doesn't fit my purpose whatsoever at all. But the fallout is being felt this very day as we keep God's Sabbath service in this little group. Because the ministry and the field is grappling with this split. They're trying to figure out which side to go to, or whether to go on their own, or to join a few of them together and start another group. And the people themselves are in great confusion, frustration. Their insides are tied in knots as they meet around the world today, trying to figure out what's going on and why and what should I do. I've heard reports that some are considering holding back their tithes for a few months, until the thing sort of settles and they figure it out. And since I started hearing about this specifically, there had been some rumors around for quite some time actually, but they were categorically denied, <clears throat> essentially, and everything was supposedly okay. But for the last three or four days since this became official and right out in the open, my insides have been torn up too. Because once again, brethren, we see God's people being led to the slaughter. Frustrated, confused, milling about as sheep, not hearing a clear sound, not knowing quite what to do. Frustrated and confused. And it's a sad day for all of us when some part of the overall flock is having great difficulty. Now this, ironically, ties in very well with the message that Hosea has for us today as I continue in this series that we began. How many times did Herbert Armstrong say, the Bible is written to the church? I hear it ringing in my ears to this day. Now, we happen to be in Hosea today. But let me tell you, I could preach the same sermon that I'm going to preach today from Ephesians 5 and 6. I could preach the exact same sermon from Jude, from Peter, from other of Paul's Gospels, Thessalonians, for instance, parts of the book of Revelation. It doesn't matter <clears throat> where I happen to be today to give this sermon. That is, in terms of which scripture... Hosea adds different detail, and much of the detail that is not given in the New Testament is certainly given in the Old. So we may get more detail 
today from here than we would maybe from Ephesians 5, but the story and the message is the same. The troubles and the difficulties that God's people are having. Now, I don't mean to preach against global today. Let me make that very clear from the very get-go. But global happens to be the pot that is on under is over the fire today, this weekend. Others have been, and let me assure you from what I read in the scriptures, others will be. So what we see today is going to be very obvious in its application to global because this is what they're going through. But in a larger sense, the rest of us are going through it as well. So I wanted to make it perfectly clear that I'm not singling them out today. It just happens that the message that Hosea has for us today is happening right there as we speak. And it's happening other places, not just as overtly, or not as overtly, perhaps. But this is a very live message that Hosea has. Now, I'll do a brief review here. Hosea starts out, and his name means the same as Joshua, or the Savior, or God, the Lord, saves. And then he goes into a terrible description of conditions in Israel about whoring after other gods. And it's not too hard for us to make the connection between what has happened in worldwide and the whoring after paganism. I think that message is very clear and that God is not happy with the church overall with what occurred. And maybe those of us who left there and have retained the truth are not in as bad a shape as they are at this point, but some of the attitude, some of the carryover, perhaps even some doctrinal things and groups here and there are in the same category, and we'll find <clears throat> that we don't get off, <clears throat> excuse me, scot-free, uh, just because we're out of worldwide right now. The beautiful part of Hosea is that it does say, God saves. That's Hosea's name. But before we get to that part of the book, and it's, well, it's sprinkled through it here and there a little bit with some encouragement along with the terrible things that God says about the church and the relationship that it has as the bride of Christ or as the wife. Um, there's a little good scattered here and there, but for the most part, uh, it's a terrible picture that he paints of the church at the end and of Israel as a nation at the end as well. Both apply. We left off last time at the end of chapter 3 and... Um, I left that with an exhortation that we don't have a king, an overall ruler now, a leader in the church of God other than Christ, but not a physical leader, and how each of us is to be a type of Christ, how each of us are to be followers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A very sobering thing to consider, that once we go under that water, once we have repented and begun to be converted, we cannot turn back. We supposedly, supposedly counted the cost, and we're finding the cost is great in terms of overcoming, growing, turning our hearts to God when everything in this world is turning a different direction. And it is so hard 
for us to focus on God in every moment and every thought of our minds. But that is what we are under. Bring every thought into the captivity of Jesus Christ. That's a tall order. But if we're to be types of Christ and as a special music today, will they see God as they walk in our footsteps? We're to be the leaders of spiritual Israel. And when they come up <clears throat> or go into the millennium, those who survive, can they look back at the footsteps you and I have left behind and say, yes, they followed God. They are like Christ. Now they are God. Because we paid attention and gave heed to God. We are types and we cannot escape that to become just as Christ was and is. Now let's pick it up in chapter 4 today. And I'm going to try to make it all the way through the book. I know I'm going to have to skip some areas and there's a great deal of detail in here. I, I think of John's uh, series on the book of Amos, which as I recall is probably something over 20 tapes. There are an awful lot of principles here that could be chased out in other parts of the Bible. And as I said, we could go to Ephesians and give the same sermon. So there's a lot here, but I want to pick up the highlights and let us see where we are today and where we're headed and what's going on. Because there are a lot of people still who are not picking up yet on what God is doing and why with the church today. They're confused about it, and they're going off different directions trying to do this or do that. And it's not working. And they wind up divided, split, splintered, disagreeing. And it's happening all over the church. So it's important that we still recognize and still go through some of these scriptures to find out, really, where is God in all this? Because that's all that really counts. Where is God and where does he expect us to be? Chapter 4 of Hosea. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. Now there's a sermon in itself. These are the words of the Lord we're going to address today. Given to Hosea specifically and recorded for you and me today. The Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Now we're going to see that this can apply specifically to worldwide and to us. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood touches blood. Do we see people spiritually bleeding and dying about us on every hand today? Yes, we do. And truth is going by the, to the side. The land languishes. Verse 4. <clears throat> Yet let no man strive nor reprove another, for your people are as they that strive with the priest. What do you see? People arguing back and forth and forth and back about this point of doctrine, that point of doctrine, saying I'm right and you're wrong, and reproving one another, arguing with one another, <clears throat> splitting and splintering. 
Therefore shall you fall in the day, and the prophet also shall fall with you in the night. So this is going to happen day and night, and no one is immune. And I will destroy your mother. Now who is our mother? Jerusalem was above us all. Heavenly Jerusalem, the church, as Paul said in Galatians. We all look back to the work of Herbert Armstrong, and that, in a sense, is what gave us our spiritual birth. So the church has been our mother, and Paul makes that very clear. Well, is our mother about destroyed in terms of worldwide? It's gone into Egypt and Babylon, doctrinally. It's almost destroyed, even numerically. So because of what God sees happening in the church today, he says, I am going to destroy it. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, verse 6. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you. That you shall be no priest to me. For God has rejected that body, that mother of us. Seeing you have forgotten the law of your God... Now, here's the part that gets crucial for you and me. I will also forget your children. Even those groups who break off have their own overcoming, growing, changing to do. We may not have rejected the truth, but because our mother rejected it, and because we lapsed into Laodiceanism, carelessness, materialism, and other forms of idolatry and harlotry to one degree or another, maybe not as bad as worldwide, but to one degree or another, every one of us slumbered and slept and became Laodicean in approach. So God includes us here. Verse 7, as they were increased, so they sinned against me. As they began to come out, the children and increase, get bigger in numbers, as more and more came out, God says at the same time they were sinning against him, that we were. I will change their glory into shame. And as the groups continue to break up, there was another large one that had a great big split not too long ago. And I think based on what I find here in the Bible, they're not done splitting either. And we had another big one today that is splitting as we sit here. And no telling how many divisions or splinters there will be when it's all said and done. Sad to say, but we're living it, brethren. It's here. We've been saying this for quite some time because we saw these scriptures and we believed it. We didn't say that Isaiah 5 talking about many churches coming down and Zechariah 11 where it talks about them coming down we didn't say it because of rumors we heard in those groups we've been saying God is scattering and God is doing this because the Bible said it would happen and now as time goes on these words of God are proving truer and truer and confirming that we're reading them right Verse 9, they shall be like people, like priests, and I will punish them for their ways and reward them their doings. How many ministers 
have been languishing in the last few years saying, we have no respect anymore. Nobody cares what we say anymore. They do their own thing. Every man turns to his own understanding or leans to it. So it's like people like priests. In other words, my opinion is just as good as yours is. And maybe, considering the opinions of the priests, they're right. People have minds, too. They can read, too. And some of them are reading these scriptures a whole lot better than some of the ministry is. We just need to read it and believe it. Believe what Herbert Armstrong told us. These are written for us. And I won't go into great detail about that. We've done that before to show how much the Old and New Testament are tied together. Verse 10, For they shall eat and not have enough. How many people complain about going to church and not being fed? They shall commit whoredom and shall not increase because they have left off to take heed to the eternal. There's the because. There's cause and effect for you. Each of those organizations that are out there expected to increase. They had their own goals and purposes, whether it was preaching the gospel or whatever it might be, and thought, we'll just increase and increase, and God will bless this, and we'll be on the TV and radio worldwide. We'll do a great work. And they weren't looking at some scriptures, nor they were giving heed to the words of the eternal. Now, we can be in that category. If the wolf is at the door of global today, where will the wolf be tomorrow? Will the wolf be at the door of the church of the great God tomorrow, or next week, or next month, or next year, whenever it comes? Because we do not pay heed to the eternal. What does God tell us to do? Before we're done today, we're going to get some instruction from God right out of the Scriptures. But many of those hopes and dreams of some organizations are falling by the wayside, and they have not increased. And instead, many are splitting and dividing and becoming less effective and decreasing rather than increasing. And we get more and more churches out of this will come new organizations, just as it has with every other split of every other group. And pretty soon, if it isn't already there, it'll be like Isaiah 5, where there's house to house to house, spiritually speaking, so many churches that get in each other's way. I think it's already there to some degree, but it still is happening. Verse 14. <clears throat> My King James says, will I, or I will, but uh, I will not punish is what the King James says, but in the margin mine says, shall I not punish your daughters? Who are the daughters of the church? We're it, the daughters of Zion. I will punish your daughters when they commit whoredom, and your spouses when they commit adultery. For themselves are separated with whores, and they sacrifice with harlots. Therefore, the people that does not understand shall fall. If we don't read these messages and these prophecies, or heed Paul's doctrines or teachings about false apostleship and falling away, 
Christ's own teachings there in Matthew and John's in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And on and on through the New Testament. It, they tell us what's going to be happening right now. Just as much as Hosea does. Those that don't read and heed and understand shall fall. Do we know what God is doing today? Verse 16, For Israel slides back as a backsliding heifer. Got all four feet planted. And if we see a scripture that says something different than what we might think God is doing, then we plant our feet and say, Oh no, this is what the church did under Herbert Armstrong, or this is what the church did in such and such, and we should still do this. But I think Herbert Armstrong had the truth of it. He said, The work that I did is finished. Go get the people ready. Prepare the church. Prepare the bride. His job of calling many was finished. Now comes the sifting and sorting and separating. But if we plant our feet and say, Oh, no, let's not do this, then we're putting ourselves in this category. All right, let's go to chapter 5. Hear you this, O priests, or hear this ministry, and hearken, you whole church of God, and give you ear, O house of the king, for judgment is toward you because you have been a snare on Mizpah and a net spread upon Tabor. Now what does that mean? Mizpah, the word means watchtower, Tabor means a lofty place. So it's talking about the ministry, who should be the watchmen, put in lofty offices, as people put it. Should just be servants, but that's another story. But he's saying that those men, the ministry, are as hunters snaring people rather than watching out for them. Where will the ties come from? Do they really care about the sheep or not? Verse 2, And the revolters are profound to make slaughter, though I've been a rebuker of them all. So God says these scriptures apply to all the ministry, including yours truly, but that we're to repent and not make meat of the sheep, but to serve them, help them, guide them, and lead them. But so often the sheep are slaughtered on the altar of more money to do this or to do that. I know Ephraim and Israel is not hid from me. For now, Ephraim, you commit whoredom, and Israel is defiled. Verse 4, they will not frame their doings to turn unto their God. Or as my margin says, their doings will not suffer them to turn to God. They're so busy doing their thing in many cases. They don't really turn to God in the way that he wants, and he will describe exactly how he wants it here in a little bit. For the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them, and they have not known the Lord. They don't know what God is doing right now, and therefore they're confused, and what they're doing is not working. I'm talking about the church as a whole, not any one organization now. And the pride of Israel does testify to his face. What is the biggest deterrent to unity, peace, and salvation? Pride. Proud people. Proud
about ministries who want to do it their way and fight and squabble among themselves. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. Judah shall fall with them. All the different groups, it says. They shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord. They go to Sabbath services to seek the Lord. Now, I'm including us here. Don't get me wrong. I'm not throwing rocks at anybody else. I'm preaching to us, to me. They shall go with their flocks and their herds to seek the Lord, but they shall not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. Something like that is said in quite a few different places in the Bible. I won't take the time to look them all up right now. They have dealt treacherously against the Lord, for they have begotten strange children. You can read Isaiah 5. You can read Jeremiah, what is it, 2 or 3, where it talks about the vine the branches producing wild grapes. But we are not getting the point. We're not getting to God the way we need to get to God. Now shall a month devour them with their portions. This is reminiscent of Zechariah 11, where it talks about three shepherds being cut off or fired or dismissed in a month. Now the word there is luna, which is essentially 30 days. But it does not necessarily have to apply that way. Because God says there in Isaiah 5, many churches will be torn down. It talks about three big trees being torn down there in Zechariah 11. And we'll see eventually what that means. But even as Numbers 14.34 says, a day is as a thousand years, so a month, even though the word is Luna, might not necessarily mean 30 days. It could signify a short portion of time in prophecy. So whether it's talking about a year or two or three or specifically a 30 days, I guess we'll see. But I see over here a period of... Um, let me start over again. I see here over a period of the last few months and years, one organization after another biting the dust. So maybe it indeed does mean over a short period of time here right at the end that will happen to God's church. And maybe not just in 30 days. Blow the cornet in Gibeah and the trumpet in Ramah. Cry aloud. So God wants us to thunder what is happening. Verse 13, when Ephraim saw his sickness, and let's not forget that God promoted Ephraim to the firstborn position among the sons. And I think that that application is here for us today because we are the church of the firstborn, as Paul put it. So, listen up. This is talking to you and me. So, they tried various remedies, and I think overall, worldwide, has done what it says right here in verse 13. When they saw their wound, they went to the Assyrian, the King Jerob. Yet could he not heal you, nor cure you of your wound? We went to the pagans. We went to the heathen. Other places it talks about Egypt and Babylon. But looking for strength... And that which is not of God is the principle here that I want to get. Not specifically, necessarily, the Assyrian, although that is in the context, and I don't know exactly what application to make of it, but maybe as time goes along it will become clearer. And I think Daniel, come to think of it, tells us that. 
because it says those that forsake the covenant of God will have communication with the beast. And the beast is led by the Assyrian. So there you have it. But notice what he says to us, verse 14. For I will be unto Ephraim as a lion, and as a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. So God says, I will tear you. And he's already said up there in verse 6 that he withdrew himself. I will tear and go away. I will take away, and none shall rescue him. That puts us in a pretty serious plight. I will go and return to my place. Now, how long is God going to turn his back on us? Right here he tells us. Till. Till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. As he puts it in other places, till they turn to me with their whole heart. And I think that's in this book as well. In their affliction, they will seek me early. Now, there's an encouraging note. That in spite of all this devastation and destruction, God's people are going to begin to wake up to what's going on. God puts the pressure on. God rips and tears like a lion. Satan is a raging lion, seeking whom he may devour. And God has turned Satan loose on the church. To one degree or another. He's probably told him, as he did in Job's case, only go so far. And then he tells him, well, okay, go a little further. Just like Job's situation. God is the one who instigated that. Have you seen my servant Job? Oh, yeah. yeah well, yeah, you built a hedge around him. Take it away and see what happens. It's the same story, brethren. And we don't see God well enough. Satan is taking advantage of us. And somewhere along the line, we're going to have to see God in the picture and in our lives. Do you see God in your life? Take number one. And does God see you seeking his face with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and being? I fear that he does not. And that's why all these scriptures are written for us. Sure, they're written for physical Israel later on, because they're about to get physically what we're getting right now spiritually. Chapter 6. Come and let us return to the Lord, for he is torn. He will heal us. He has smitten, and he will bind us up. We're going to begin to get the point somewhere along the line. Instead of being double-minded and seeking this world and materiality and worldliness on the one hand and still giving God lip service, at some point in all this devastation, some of God's people are going to begin to turn to him with all their hearts. And sad to say, I think it's just a remnant. We're going to see that later in this series. It's not going to be the whole church that wakes up. A lot of the church of God is going right on into the end of the tribulation. But a remnant will wake up. Is it going to be you? Is it going to be me? Sometimes I think I'm trying so hard. And yet at times I realize I'm so half-hearted, so insipid, so weak. 
wretched man that I am. And while I give God lip service, I find myself with my mind off on other things. And I have to beat my body and my mind into subjection. We all do. After two days will he revive us, and the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Now there's one I don't know what to do with at the moment. I went to the commentaries to see if they had any smarts on it, and uh, they didn't. They said, well, it obviously refers to Christ and his three days in the grave. Well, if you stretch it, maybe so. But what does it mean after two days will he revive us? He was still in the grave dead, and he wasn't resurrected until the end of a full third day, 72 hours, not parts of two days, and suddenly we were revived. So I don't see that that completely fits. Maybe to some degree, one way or another, it does apply to Christ and his dying for us, and he certainly wasn't the one who's going to raise us up, and certainly through his death and resurrection, uh, he raised us up as Christians. But I think that this also has an application here at the end, because it is an end-time prophecy, and I don't know exactly what to do with it. The commentaries did say that nothing in Israel that has happened in the history of Israel seemed to fit this, that it seems to be something for the future. I won't spend any more time on that. I'll run out here if I'm not careful anyway. So let's go on. But let's notice verse 3. This is good. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. See, there always is a condition here. We might wake up. We might begin to seek his face. We might begin to turn. But if we follow on, if we carry it through, if we do the follow-through part and come to really know God again, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come to us as the rain, as the latter and former rain to the earth. So right here at the end, when he begins to revive the church, however these time elements appear or are carried out and fulfilled, he's going to dump showers of blessings on us, as he puts it in Isaiah. He's going to give us both the early and the latter rain all at once. It isn't here, I don't think. It's another verse where he says he'll give us the latter, former and latter rain in the first month, springtime. Passover time. So it'll all get dumped on us. When God says, all right, my people have repented sufficiently, he is going to bless us beyond what we have ever comprehended, believed, or imagined. Because we'll get all the rain at once. A flood of peace and love, forgiveness from God. It's coming. But we've got some things to endure first, and we've got some things to do first. Verse 6. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. That's a quote from David. It's also a quote of Christ in Matthew 9, verse 13. God wants mercy, not sacrifice. He wants to be merciful toward us. But if we insist on going our way, we're going to be sacrificed. Now let's skip on to chapter 7, verse 1. When I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was discovered and the wickedness of Samaria. I wonder if that might have some application in Mr. Armstrong's life, where after he had his heart attack and so on, he began to realize that the church had to be put back on the right track. And he buffeted his body, his tired, old, weakness, 
filled body to try to stir us to be healed. Maybe God used him, but then look at all the iniquity that began to come out right about that time and henceforth and forever after. Maybe it's not a direct application, but boy, the principle is certainly here. When God would have put us back on the track, our iniquity began to show. Verse 2, And they consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own doings have beset them about. Why are we in this condition? Because we were lukewarm. Because we were giving lip service and going to the Sabbath service and to the feast. But we weren't really working at bringing every thought into the captivity of Christ. We were allowing a certain amount of harlotry and idolatry even though we were, quote, unquote, faithful to God. God wants us on fire, filled with zeal and energy. The fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man avails not much. Not our sleepy time, betty-by prayers, which we all have used at times. Verse 7, They are all hot as an oven and devoured their judges. All their kings are fallen. One after another, after another, after another of our leaders, our ministry has fallen. Still going on. Today as we speak, it's going on. There is none among them that calls to me. It's just a sorry, sick, wretched mess, brethren. That's just what we are. And he's speaking of the ministry. Ephraim has mixed himself among the people. The cake not turned. We're too lazy to really turn ourselves over and to grow. We'll sit there and be burned on the bottom while we're not done on top. Because we won't rouse ourselves out of the pan and flip ourselves over and get cooked all the way through spiritually. Strangers are devoured as strength. Yeah, we had strangers and heathen that came in. And the strength dissipated and slipped away. Yeah, there are gray hairs on us here and there. And we know it not. We're getting old. We're about to pass away and die as a church. Unless we wake up to what's going on. And here again he uses the silly dove without hearts. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. Look everywhere but to the one true God for the real answers. We'll go to the gods of this world, whether they be financial or medical or wherever we might go. A lot of different avenues we can take rather than turning to the true God of all Israel. Oh, on a physical level, it's happening as well. Tony Blair just encouraged Europe to develop its own defense force so that they could be independent, complementing NATO, of course, but their own strike force. So it's happening on a physical as well as a spiritual level. Notice verse 13. Woe to them, for they have fled from me, destruction to them, because they have transgressed against me, Though I have redeemed them. There's just some New Testament language. We talk about redemption in the New Testament over and over. Though he's redeemed us, yet they have spoken lies against me. Our hearts are not with him. They have not cried to me with their heart when they howled upon their bed. Yes, the church is howling. A lot of God's people are praying. A lot of God's people are distressed and frustrated. But they're not turning to these scriptures. 
And they're not reading themselves in there. They assemble themselves for corn and wine and they rebel against me. So we'll come together for food, but we're not really listening to what God has to say right now. They return, verse uh, 16, but not to the Most High. They're like a deceitful bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword for the rage of their tongue. This shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. Only a remnant is going to be preserved. Chapter 8. Set the trumpet to your mouth. This isn't pleasant. I don't enjoy this. My guts have been in knots all week because what I see happening to another segment of God's church. But well, we need to cry it out. Let's the same thing befall us. And it could, brethren. Israel shall cry to me, verse 2, My God, we know you. We know this is the true church. We know your God. But unless we do what he says, it doesn't mean anything. In fact, it puts us in jeopardy. They have set up kings, but not by me. There have been a lot of organizations built in the last ten years. Set up leaders and rulers. What is it of God? Does God want 411 to 30,000 churches? We're one too, another organization. Now, I'm not against organization. Don't get me wrong, and I don't think God is against organization. It's all through the Bible. But we'd better be sure that if we have leaders, that they are of God. They've made princes, and I knew it not. I didn't pay any attention to it. Of their silver and their gold have they made them idols, that they may be cut off. Now, whether you know it or not, or whether they will admit it or not, in this present horrible mess that is happening in global, there are ministers out there right now who are figuring the odds on where their next paycheck might come from. If I go this way, will they be able to pay me? If I go this way, will they be able to pay me? Now, maybe it's not on their top five list of things to consider in this particular crisis publicly. But my Bible tells me there's lots of hirelings. And they go which way the money goes. And we've seen it happen already over and over and over in the church of God. That's what it says right here. Talking about the kings, the rulers, the leaders, the ministry. And their object is too much silver and gold. Your capital, Samaria, have you cast you has cast you off. My anger is kindled against them. So built a golden calf, they're being cast off. Ezekiel thirty four says the sheep will be taken away from the shepherds. That's echoed right here. Now notice here is a very critical spiritual principle in the verse five. How long will it be before they attain to innocency? not playing the angles, not coppering their own pockets, but becoming like little children, as God said. Humble, meek, ready to serve and to give. Not follow their own agendas. 
every one of us who is in the ministry had better think very seriously about this. What are our goals and our purposes? Where is our heart? No wonder it is like priests, like people, because there has been a great deal of infraction in this area. When will we be meek and humble instead of ostentatious? Verse 6, For from Israel was it also, the workmen made it, and therefore it is not God, but the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. In our hearts, say, hey, if we follow this man, we'll be okay. As long as we're sitting in this organization, we'll go to a place of safety and under the kingdom of God. There are no guarantees, brethren. These scriptures tell me all bets are off. It is a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God that is going to determine where you wind up. It is not your relationship with an organization. Because I believe God is going to pull his remnant out of all organizations. Wherever those are who turn to him with their whole heart, those are the ones he will draw together when he rebuilds the temple. We'll see that very clearly before this series is done, God willing, and I live that long. Now, where was I here? Verse 7 of chapter 8. For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. There you have it. Are we seeing increase now? Are we seeing a great work being done anywhere? No. We see mixed results, and mainly decrease. It has no stalk. The bud shall yield no meal. If so be it yield, the stranger shall swallow it up. Nothing's going to happen. Israel is swallowed up. Now shall they be among the Gentiles as a vessel wherein is no pleasure. What can we point to, brethren, in the church of God today? Somebody asks, what church do you belong to? Well, I belong to the splinter, the splinter, the splinter of the church of, God, of uh, worldwide church of God. Say what? <laughs> this isn't a vessel to really be proud of or take pleasure in. Verse 12, I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. Slowly, through the organizations, God's laws are being counted strange. One by one, dropped. Verse 13, into the verse, they shall return to Egypt. Verse 14, for Israel has forgotten his maker and builds temples, and Judah has multiplied fenced cities. So when this group breaks up, we make 16 little groups. And when those 16 break up, we make 16 more little groups. And last count I heard several a year or so ago was over 400 that they could count, and probably a lot more that are not countable. As God spews us Laodiceans out of his mouth. Verse 9, Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy is other people. For you have gone a-hoeing from your God. You have loved a reward upon every corn floor. Verse 3, They shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean things in Assyria. And as I said before, I believe a great majority of the church is probably going into the tribulation, and this will become a physical prophecy of people who were slaves because they did not heed the words of the eternal their God. 
Verse 4, the end of it. All that eat thereof shall be polluted, for their bread for their souls shall not come to the house of the Lord. Uh, this is summarized. These, the whole minor prophets are summarized in the book of Malachi. And it talks about polluted bread on the altar there. Here we find it in Hosea, the first of the books of the minor prophets. What will you do in the solemn day and in the day of the feast of the Lord? For they are gone because of destruction. God hates our feasts. I gave a sermon on that. John gave a sermon on that this year. I did last year. Egypt shall gather them up. Memphis shall bury them. The pleasant places of their silver, metals shall possess them. Thorns shall be in their tabernacles. So the feasts are breaking up, breaking up, breaking up, getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Pretty soon they won't have a place to go. The days of visitation are come. This is it. Showtime, brethren. The visitation of God is on us. The days of recompense are come. Israel shall know it. Boy, are we finding it out. Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is mad for the multitude of your iniquity and your great hatred. It seems like there's not much knowledge of what's going on among God's people today. The watchman of Ephraim was with my God. Now notice this. The watchman was with God. But the prophet is a snare of a fowler in all his ways and hatred in the house of his God. People don't like to hear these things. We would like to be comfortable in whatever piece of spittle we wound up in. We don't want to be told we need to continue to repent. But if we're still in the middle of this, we still must need it. It just means change, is all repent means. They have deeply corrupted themselves, as in the days of Gibeah. And he will remember their iniquity, he will visit their sins. Verse 10, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first ripe. Who are the firstborn, the first ripe, other than Christ? The New Testament church. But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves to that shame. As for Ephraim, verse 11, their glory shall fly away like a bird from the birth and from the womb and from the conception. And that's what's happening to the church of God today. Woe to them when I depart from them, verse 12. How's my time? I better hurry. Verse 17 of chapter 9. My God will cast them away because they did not hearken to him, and they shall be wanderers among the peoples. Where is God's church today? Wandering here and there, all over the place trying to find good food, having trouble doing so. You can preach the gospel all you want, verse 16. Ephraim is smitten, their wounds dried up, they shall bear no fruit. Nothing really is going to come of it, significantly. I will, be slay, I will slay even the beloved fruit of their womb. So even those who do come are going to be swept away by what is happening to the church. Chapter 10, Israel is an empty vine. He brings forth fruit unto himself. It's so easy to pat ourselves on the back and say, well, we're, we're the good guys. The rest of you wear black hats. It's easy for any of us to do that. Verse 2, their heart is divided. Now shall they be found faulty. What did Christ say? Can't serve two masters. Can't serve God in this world. And yet too much. We're still in this world, obviously, or God wouldn't be telling us that we're un double-minded and unstable. 
And that's obvious in the fact that he's still blowing us apart or allowing Satan to under his aegis. Verse 3, For now they shall say, We have no king, because we feared not the Lord. What then should a king do to us? We read that and saw several scriptures to that effect last sermon. And that God has taken our king, our leader, our ruler away. Herbert Armstrong died, and we've not had anyone we could all look to since. Because no one stands up, head and shoulders above all, and God has done this to us on purpose, to the effect that we will turn to Him. Now, we still need the foolishness of preaching. That's what Paul called it. We should go back and read this, and we should get the message, each and every one of us. But since God's people have never done that to the degree that they ought to, we have to have preachers. So here we are without an overall leader. Verse 12. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground. Hey, let's, let's, let's go through and plow our lives and see what we've really got here. For it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Get out there and dig the ground. God says, Seek righteousness with all your hearts, not divided hearts. It is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed wickedness, you have reaped iniquity, you have eaten the fruit of lies because you did trust in your way in the multitude of your mighty men. The mighty men, leading ministers, went off this way, that way, and the other way, and we just trusted in them. And what's happening? We had better seek the Lord with all our hearts. Therefore, verse 13, shall a tumult arise among your people, and all your fortresses shall be spoiled. Does that sound familiar? Do we have a tumult among the people of spiritual Israel today? Clamoring rebelling so shall Bethel do unto you because of your great wickedness and a morning shall the king of Israel utterly be cut off maybe it's nothing against him it's ironic that Herbert Armstrong died early in the morning sitting in his favorite chair God could have preserved him another 10 or 12 or 20 years I suppose that he wanted to but it was time for him to die because he had finished the particular job God gave him to do, to call many and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, 19-20. That was his commission, and he fulfilled it. And then he died. And our Laodicean began to come back, Laodiceanism began to come back on us. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. He called us. Early, years ago, he began calling us into his church. And he loved us because we were his little children, ready to be taught, sopping up God's truth with our first love. But then we began to stray and become calloused and lose our first love. Verse 3, I taught Ephraim also to go and take him by, them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. I drew them with cords of a man with bands of love. And I was to them as they that take off the yoke on their jaws, and I laid meat to them. God gave us good, strong, spiritual food years ago. But somehow we began to trust in ourselves and sort of take it for granted. Verse 
verse 5, He shall not return to the land of Egypt, but the Assyrians shall be his king because they refuse to return. A portion of the church of God is going into the captivity and not be necessarily righteous martyrs, but unrighteous Laodiceans who do not repent until the fire is lit under them. Then maybe they'll have to give their lives. God will use some as sterling examples of righteousness like Peter and Paul who will be martyred. But there are others who are going to have to say, okay, I'll give my life to save it, my physical life to save my spiritual. And they're going to have to die because we refuse to return. Verse 9, I will not return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man. In spite of all these dire things God is saying, when we begin to turn, and he says we will do it early, there at the end of chapter 4, I believe it was, I will not destroy my firstborn, for I am God and not man. If we were as betrayed, as disallowed, as taken for granted as human beings, as God has been by us, we would not have the mercy God is going to have. That's a lesson for us, too. Verse 10, They shall walk after the Lord, he shall roar like a lion, then the children shall tremble from the west. Is it making us tremble when we see one after another of the churches of God coming apart at the seams, dividing, splitting? It better make us tremble. We could be next if we don't do what God tells us through his prophet Hosea. Ephraim compasses me, verse 12, about with lies in the house of Israel with deceit, but Judah yet rules with God and is faithful with the saints. Think this isn't a New Testament book or about the New Testament church? Chapter 12, Ephraim feeds on wind and follows after the east wind. He daily increases lies and desolation. And they do make a covenant with the Assyrians, and oil is carried to Egypt. The false churches of this world, and ultimately the beast. Verse 6, let's move on. Therefore turn you to your God. Keep mercy and judgment, and wait on your God continually. Here's Matthew 23, all over again. I don't have time to go back and read it, but the spiritual principles through this book are just, it's rife with them, it's full of them of what we need to be doing. Keep mercy and judgment. He is a merchant. The balances of the seed are in his hand. He loves to oppress. And Ephraim said, Yet I am become rich. How many stand and say, I'm Philadelphia, and the rest of you are Laodiceans. This is the Philadelphia group. There are quite a few different ones that say that. <laughs> I saw one a while back called the Church of the Very Elect. I don't even know where it was or who it was. And I'm not persecuting them. It's just that that name caught me. And it reminded me of this kind of scripture. It reminded me of Revelation 3. Yet I am become rich. I have found me out substance in all my labors. They shall find no iniquity in me that were sin. I'm okay. You are blind and naked. I'm rich and increased with good spiritually. The minute you stand up and say, I'm a Philadelphian, you're a Laodicean, you're a Laodicean. Because you're making the judgment that you're A-OK and they aren't. And that's what a Laodicean does. 
9, And I am, and I that am the Lord, your God from the land of Egypt, will yet make you to dwell in tabernacles as in the days of the solemn feast. So we got a clue here that God is going to turn things out all right before this is all said and done. Verse 13, And by a prophet the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, and by a prophet was he preserved. So God hearkens back to Moses, and I think he's looking forward to the two witnesses here, because they are called prophets, and God is going to use them to lead the church and to rebuild the temple, and we'll see that later on. We will be drawn out of our unfaithfulness. We will be drawn to where God is going to give peace, unity, and salvation, wherever that is. Now, chapter 13, when Ephraim spoke trembling, he exalted himself in Israel, but when he offended in Baal, he died. So when the church of God stood up and exalted itself and said, I'm Philadelphia and I'm okay, boy, there is a recipe for disaster. When you think you stand, take heed, lest you fall. We saw that back here a little before, where it said, take heed to God. Christ may have been quoting that when he said that, or at least partly. And now they sin more and more, and it made them molten images of their silver and idols according to their own understanding. There's never one leaning to his own understanding now and making his own doctrinal idols and somebody will go off on one little doctrine and make a whole religion out of it. Oh, sure, they still keep the Sabbath, they still keep the holy days, but their whole emphasis is on some calendar issue, perhaps. And that becomes their religion. It becomes their idol that keeps them away from God. We need to be careful we don't do that. Verse 4, Yet I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt, and you shall know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. And we are without a physical leader right now overall because God wants us to get this point. I am God. No man is. Doesn't mean we're not supposed to listen. Doesn't mean we're not supposed to attend. Doesn't mean we're supposed to forsake the assembling of ourselves together and go our own way. That's wrong too. But we'd better not make an idol of man. Because both the idol and you might come down. God is your God. And the relationship with him, not any organization, is what really counts. There is no Savior beside me, verse 4. I did know you in the wilderness, in the land of great drought. He, he knows what's going on right now. In this famine of the word, according to their pasture, so were they filled. They were filled and their heart was exalted, therefore have they forgotten me. We can get all bound up in how Christian we are, how Philadelphian we are, but somehow in the milieu, we forget God. Therefore I will be to them as a lion, as a leopard by the way will I observe them. I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps. Have you ever gotten between a mother sow and her cubs? I've been there. That'll scare you. <laughs> and it could kill you. I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps and will rend the call of their heart and there will I devour them like a lion. Shades of the book of Lamentations. You think we were wrong when we were applying that to the church? Look what's happening today, brethren. The wild beast shall tear them. 
Verse 9, O Israel, you have destroyed yourself. He said, I may have done it, I may have turned Satan loose on you, but it was your own fruits, it was your own attitudes, it was your own lack of attention and heed to God. We destroyed ourselves through our Laodiceanism. God's just putting the boot to us a little bit here. But in me is your help. See, he keeps pointing back and telling us what to do about this. I will be your king. You're going to see all these kings and princes fall before your eyes until you look to me. Where is any other that may save you in all your cities? <laughs> Name one. Name somebody among the ministry that you can go to and say, Boy, there, you know, I go there, I'm, I got it made. In a pig's eye, you do. You've got to go to God. And your judges of whom you said, Give me a king and princess. I gave you a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath. Now, I think this harkens all the way back to Saul and to David. But I think it also has an application with Herbert Armstrong right now. Had we stayed close to God... It wouldn't have really mattered whether we had an overall leader or not. But we didn't. And God was getting fed up with us about by the time Herbert Armstrong died. And we haven't had a physical leader since. But even comes close. Verse 12. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up, his sin is hid. The sorrows of a travailing woman shall come upon him. He is an unwise son. For he should not stay long in the place of the breaking forth of children. Now in Micah 4, God tells us to be in pain and travail and give birth. Get this thing done. Turn to God in righteousness and in holiness with all our hearts. Why do we stay so long in the birth canal or the birthing process? Why are we so slow to react? Why? Do we still think materialistically and worldly? Why do we still let our minds and hearts and thoughts and time be dissipated in vain and fruitless pursuits? Why don't we turn to God with all our hearts and get this thing over with? It's an unwise son. The lollygags. Don't stay long where we are, God admonishes us. Get through this. Be done with it. Push! Now what they tell a travailing woman? Push! Don't let up. Push! Take a deep breath and push! Tired of the gun lap? Well, change the analogy. Give birth and push. Same message, different analogy. Verse 16, Samaria shall become desolate, for she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Samaria was the capital of Israel, and you can look at the church capitals today, and you can see them falling one by one. Their infants shall be dashed in pieces, and their women with child shall be ripped up. The women of the churches are trying to give birth, one after another, are being ripped up, torn down dissipated chapter 14 O Israel return to the Lord your God here we are again 
It's the same song, 43rd verse, or whatever it is here. That is the key, brethren, for us. For you have fallen by your iniquity. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. And we should be praying with all our hearts that God will forgive us our iniquity and turn to us and give us the, the former and the latter rains and pour them out in righteousness on us. That's our prayer. That's what to do. Verse 3, Asher will not save us. We will not ride upon horses. Neither will we say any more to the work of our hands. You are our gods, for in you the fatherless find mercy. The work of our hands could be materialism, money. It could also be the churches that we have built. They're not going to give us the answer only as we listen to what they say, if they say, turn to God. Then they will help us. Verse 4, here it gets encouraging. God always leaves us with an uplift, even in these dire times we find ourselves. I will heal their backsliding. I'll make them quit planting their feet. And by means of different types of pressure, God is getting us to yield. Isn't that what it's all about? John's been telling us. God is working salvation. We have to yield. That's what Hosea is saying. Yield. Follow me. Trot along behind me. Run after me. Quit pulling back. I will be as the dew to Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree and his smell as Lebanon. God is going to rebuild the church. He is going to rebuild spiritual Israel. But on his terms. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. Those who turn to God and get close to God, that's, that's dwelling under his shadow. If you're way far off from God, you're not right under his shadow, but you, he wants you to be right up close to him. Build that relationship. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They're the ones that are going to have sense enough to know what, where to go and what to do. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, the firstborn, the church of God, shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? Man, I have learned my lesson. I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree. Begin to look to God and observe what he's doing. What is God doing? He's tearing like a lion. He's trying to get our attention. He wants us to pay heed to him. Some are going to do that instead of bullheadedly going whatever direction they're going, thinking that God is in it, and there are no fruits. And if there are no fruits, then that means God must be doing something else. I am like a green fir tree, for me is your fruit found. Those who turn to God with all their hearts. Righteousness is what it's all about. True holiness is what it's all about. Preparing the bride, brethren, is what it's all about. Getting ourselves ready. Does that mean that we're focusing just on ourselves? No. We're focusing on helping one another. We're focusing on preparing ourselves so that we can help a whole generation of people in the millennium and in the great white throne judgment. This isn't inward and selfish. But how can God use us as we are the sins? 
as materialistic seekers of other idols. Verse 9, all right. Here's where the bear went through the buckwheat, right here. Verse 9. Who is wise, and he shall understand these things? Prudent, and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them. What did Paul say? Walk as he walked. Do as he did. Follow Jesus Christ in righteousness and love, kindness, gentleness, patience with one another. The just shall walk in them, but the transgressors shall fall therein. As I said at the beginning, Hosea's name meant God will save. As deplorable as we are, God says when he gets done putting pressure on us and we push and give birth in righteousness and holiness and sterling character like Jesus Christ and walk as he walked, no matter what we've been, no matter how bad we've been, spiritual horror, physical horror, it doesn't matter. If we will repent with all our heart and turn to Almighty God, He will save us. It is in His power, it is in His will, and He is God, not man, that He will forget Ephraim, His firstborn. And He will not forget the church of His firstborn. He will save us. Because He says so. And He lies not, and He changes not. All Israel shall be saved. And God sent his son Jesus Christ to this world to save the world. And he is going to save the world. Because he is not a failure and he has said he will. Not every individual. But I believe the majority before the plan of God is over. The millennium and the great white throne judgment. God is a father and he will produce children and he will do what he said he will do. And he will do it to you and me, if we will but yield, as Hosea tells us to do. Well, that's the end of the sermon, so all of you take care of your own song and prayer.